oh, such great songs, such great worship, and uh, it was fun hearing you guys confess those truths back, right? Especially just in that last song, that confession, saying it over again, this is what we believe, Jesus Christ, our foundation, right? And, and the song just before that, um, I hope you were really engaging in that one as well, because it just it, it allowed us to rehearse from our souls that um, we're building our life on Jesus Christ, and, and everything's going to be ordered under him. And when we do that, when we reorder our lives under him, there's security and there's safety and there's flourishing. And so anyway, those songs, both those songs together to bring us to this point where we open the word, just uh, huge, huge, just set us up to really receive the word. Um, so yeah, as, as Brian even mentioned earlier, couple of birthdays, like nine years old, just as a church family, nine years since Veritas even began, and then one year since God graciously allowed us to have a, a place like this to meet in. So all these anniversaries and, and moments to hit pause and reflect are good for us. That's why we're in the book that we're in the book of Titus in the New Testament. Um, if you are here last week, Mark directed you rightly, find all the T books in the New Testament. There's a bunch of little ones that start with the letter T and find the book of Titus. But as I think about um, this whole idea of what are we doing and are we doing church the way we're supposed to, um, we've got a far side theme going. If you're here last week, you know that Mark brought a far side cartoon up here. It went over like a lead balloon. So I thought, well, why don't we just keep going with that and see if I can kill it again? So anyway, throw this one up. Um, now, Zach pointed out that at least Mark's was in color. He's like, oh, are you so old that they were still in black and white? <laughs> Noted, Zach. Anyway, so a bunch, you know, a herd of buffalo all racing in the same direction, and the caption, one turns the other and says, as if we all knew where we're going, you know, just, yeah, three people giggled. Went over just as well as Mark's. Okay, so you got to just, when you have to explain the joke, it's not really that funny, but I'm going to go there anyway because it's important. Just think about this massive herd of buffalo, you know. Does anybody actually know where we're going? We're all heading somewhere in a frenzied pace, right? We're frantic to get there. Wait, does anybody actually know where we're going, right? Like as if somebody out front actually has a destination. Okay, everybody pull over. No, that nobody, we're just ah, careening in one direction. Okay. You can take that down. It's enough distraction for one more. Here's, here's the reason I wanted to bring another far side. One, to help bury my friend Mark out, uh, bury myself with him or something. Um, more importantly, as we hit this mile marker of nine years in as a church, one year in as, as a building, it's good for us to say, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing along the way? Like, we're all showing up. We're all doing this thing called Veritas Church, and so... Um, it would be possible to just kind of blindly all get in line and all just keep heading in a certain direction. And at some point, one of us has to turn to the other one and say, do we actually know what we're doing here? Are we actually going in the direction God would, would have us to? So that's why we're in Titus, the book of Titus, because this is going to allow us to readjust. It's going to allow us to assess where we're at, look at what God's template is, his, his working document, and say, okay, We've got to do this according to, to God's plan. Before we um, get too deep into the words we're going to be looking at more specifically today, I want to reread the first verses of Titus to help sweep us into this idea that I'm going after. So look at what he says. Paul, he says, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ 
So right off the bat, just know he's the guy that's authoring this, the Apostle Paul, is aligning himself as a servant of God. He's just a, a sent out one, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he's not taking any authority in and of himself, quickly letting everybody know the true authority as I'm penning these words, God. I'm just sent out as a messenger for God, for Jesus, for the faith of God's elect, not my people, God's people, and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life that God who cannot lie promised before time began. And then in his own time, he's revealed his word in the preaching with which I was entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So look again at, at that second verse, in the hope of eternal life that God who cannot lie Okay, so number one, we follow a God who doesn't lie. He's going to shoot straight. You know, do you have one of those truth speakers in your life that you just, you you, you know for sure they're speaking the truth to you? You might not lie at any given point, but you know for sure they're speaking truth, right? God doesn't lie, cannot lie, so whatever comes at you from God, it's going to be the truth, right? Unvarnished, unsoftened, we're just going to get truth from God. He cannot lie, he's going to be a truth speaker, and it has been his idea since eternity, before time began, since eternity passed, he's had this idea of who we are supposed to be, what we're supposed to be doing. He's not going to you know, soft sell it or varnish it. He's going to give it to us, and it's been his since the beginning of time. The fact that he references before time began made me think, I just want to talk for a second about God's overall character, Okay. And the reason I want to do this, in fact, if you've got a Bible, go back to Genesis 1 with me because um, actually there's a, a bunch of us going through uh, this thing called Gospel 101 and we're doing the same thing as we think about the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We're actually doing the same thing. We're practicing now going back to Genesis. And here's why. When we get to Titus, we're talking about God's church, God's plan. It's not ours. So um, as we think about fine-tuning the church, just know this, none of us in the room right here have the right or the privilege to say, well, I kind of want to fine-tune that church according to what I want. I've always wanted a church that fill in the blank. You know, I want to go to a church that, you know, and as if what we have to do is constantly readjust the church according to our scheme. Nope. The role of the church is to constantly readjust according to what God wants from his church, not ours, right? It's ours to readjust to him, not to readjust ourselves according to our own desires, which is consistent with the way he even introduces himself in Genesis. So the very first verses of our Bible, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. I mean, I always underline that in a new Bible. In the beginning, God, like backdrop to everything else that's coming, God, preexistent, already there, already the one that's going to determine everything that's going to follow. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, okay? The, the Hebrew words are kind of fun, tohu abohu. Isn't that kind of fun to say? Yeah, now you're all Hebrew scholars. Tohu abohu, formless and empty, Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, and then God said, let there be light. Boom, and there was light. Just with a spoken word. God just said it. Let there be light, and there was light, because he has this command over everything. He could just speak it into existence. God saw that the light was good, and so God separated the light 
from darkness. You could underline that. God separated light from darkness. Like he put light in one place and darkness in another place. Pulled them apart, ordered them. And then he has enough authority to call one one thing and one another. So God called the light day, called the darkness night, and there was evening and there was morning one day. Foundational to what God does, even in the creation account, is put things in order. You know, like if you go to a, like go back to Veritas Kids or something, you see a toy room with everything all over. You think, oh, well, the Tinker Toys go here, if there are Tinker Toys anymore, I don't know. Whatever, Legos go here, you know, dolls go there, trucks go here, whatever. Kind of put things in order. Everything is formless and empty. Everything's kind of chaotic. And what God does is puts things where they ought to be. You're going to see this through the rest of Genesis. We're not going to read through it all, but light, you go here, darkness, you go there. Stars, you go here, moons, you go over there. Land, I'm going to collect you here. Water, I'm going to gather you over here. It's ordering things, putting things in their rightful place. And when God does that, there is flourishing. We go from a formlessness and emptiness to order and flourishing when we do it God's way. So deep into Genesis 1, you get down to verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So mankind is now going to be created. And they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, creatures that crawl on the earth. Verse 27, God created man or mankind in his own image and he created him in the image of God. So he created them male and female, and then blessed them. Created them male and female. Now, why do I bring that up? Because as God took formlessness and emptiness and brought order and flourishing to his creation, part of that orderness in chapter 1 is creating mankind with maleness and femaleness. Okay? Now, there's not going to be necessarily like a hierarchy. One's not, in other words, going to be better than the other any more than, you know, earth is not going to be better than sea. Uh, livestock is not going to be more important than insects, right? Birds than fish. Females more important than males or vice versa, whatever. But consistent with God's ways, order and flourishing in God's church is going to recognize order and what I want, the reason I bring that up is when we get into Titus, I'm gonna, we're going to start by looking at eldership. Like the first thing he's going to do back in Titus 1 is start talking about the leadership of the church. And he's unashamedly going to be marking elders as males. Male eldership. And I know that might kind of not sit right because we don't think in those categories. What I want to say is it's consistent with God's ways that he's going to assign eldership to males in order to kind of order things out. Not that one's better than the other or whatever, but they're going to be, you're going to see it straight up. He's going to be giving orders that Titus on the island of Crete put male elders in his church, okay? So I want to say that from the start, and then there's one more 30,000-foot view that I want us to have as we, as we dig in, starting in verse 5. And that's the question of what even is an elder? Like a lot of us come out of different backgrounds or maybe no religious backgrounds, so what even is an elder? So I also want to go to a different passage, and then we're going to tear into Titus. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 5 with me. 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll actually have this one on the screens for us, but 1 Peter chapter 5 is really important to just define even when he dives into eldership in Titus. What's he even talking about? So 1 Peter 5, 1. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ 
as well as the one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, shepherd God's flock. Okay, so once again, here's God saying to elders, shepherd God's flock. It's not your flock. It's not your church. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. God's idea. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, right, the chief shepherd, the real head pastor, the real leader, the chief shepherd, Jesus appears, you'll receive the uncrowning, uh, unfading crown of glory. And in the same way, you who are younger, subject, be subjected to the elders and clothe yourselves with humility. I love that, humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Okay, the one verse I want to really point out is, is that verse 3. So I want to just look at that one because this is really what's important when it comes to what an elder is, is to be or is to do. Where it says there, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Elders, though they have authority, though they're to govern, they're to rule, make decisions, the most important thing that they are to bring to the table is that they are to be examples to the flock. They're, they're to let you see what following Jesus looks like. Paul will say it this way in a couple other places, like in 1 Corinthians 11, where he'll say, hey, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. Jesus wants in his church to be visible examples so that as we're learning to look, know what it looks like to follow Christ, we can see it played out in the lives of some individuals and kind of line our lives up with them, knowing they're heading toward Jesus. And if I can follow their example, they're going to actually take me, not to themselves, but ultimately to Jesus. That's, that's what an elder is supposed to be and to do. Okay, so with that in mind, let's go to Titus now. I'm taking you all over the rest of the Bible. Now let's go back to Titus with that backdrop, because he says in verse Verse 5, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone. Okay, so that's kind of that same idea from Genesis. Put things in order. Things are a little chaotic. Things are a little formless, right? So when you get there, and, and there's God's church, but it's a little chaotic. So bring to order. Set things right. What was left undone as I directed you. And appoint elders in every town. Elders, not an elder in every town. Elders, plurality. That's a really important point that he's going to get to. Wherever you go, wherever God's church gathers, there should be elders with an S at the end. Plurality. Not, not one. There's only one chief shepherd. That's Jesus. Everywhere the church is, there should be a gathering, a plurality of elders. Why? Because they've got to be visible. They, they've got to be like close in proximity. You've got to be able to get around them. You've got to be able to see them because that's their job is to show what it looks, looks like to follow Jesus. So there should be many of them, several of them in any given church. Okay, so now let's look and see how he goes about doing that. So again, this is not just for elders. I feel the weight of it. All of us as elders feel the weight of this. But I want you to know, as you start looking at what elders are, Apply it to yourself too, right? Because you're just supposed to be following the example of the elders and live like this as well, right? So this is primarily for the elders, but also for all of us as we order our lives in, in the same way. So an elder then in verse 6 must be blameless, the husband of one wife with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. 
So let me break it down this way. Um, the first point that he's going to talk to to us about when it comes to eldership, how to find elders, these are the guys who, they've got to bring the kind of home that the Cretans long for, the Cretans being the people at Crete, where, where Titus is going to be living, in the island of Crete. You've got to look for elders who are going to give an example of the kind of home that Cretans look for. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't start with, find the kind of guys that will know how to make good decisions for the church. Find good guys who know how to set up connection groups. Find good guys. No, no, no. The very first thing, as he's ordering him and how to find elders for every community, where all the churches are, is find the kind of guy who has a home that Cretans really long for. And he uses this word blameless. He's going to use it again in the next verse as well. Blameless doesn't have the idea of being perfect. It's the idea that you can't assign blame to them. In other words, like here, uh, when it comes to uh, being faithful to one wife and having children, in other words, you can't just accuse that guy and say, man, that's a womanizer. Or later on, that's a drunkard. Wow, that's a guy who always lies. That's a guy who cheats. That's a guy who, whatever. You can't like grab that guy and just name him something like that. No, there's a, a character quality that's like free from like patterns of sin that are just identified. Oh, that guy, yeah, he's a fill in the blank, right? That, that there shouldn't be that immediate blame you can put on someone, right? Not perfect. Jesus is the only one that's perfect. But here he's saying, very specifically, blameless in the sense of, one, the husband of one wife. Okay, it's interesting because, Coach, you can check me on this as you look at your Greek New Testament over there, but the idea is a one-woman man, a one-woman man. Why do I point that out? Because here, one, it doesn't disclude anybody that's not married, okay? You can be single, right? Jesus, Apostle Paul, <laughs> we're not married. So it's not, but it's that you are, have the kind of character that you are a committed person. And because most of the adult men are married, he's saying you're committed to one woman. It also doesn't mean that you could have never have had a previous wife because of maybe death, divorce, whatever. It, it's not discluding people who have had a previous wife. It's saying you're the kind of person who's committed to one woman for life. That's your commitment, okay? You're true. You're, you're pure. So here's the deal, guys. There are, there are men who are still married to just one woman, but they're womanizers. You know what I mean? They're flirtatious. They got roving eyes all the time. And he's saying, no, 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 no. You've got to have the kind of character that you're committed to one woman. Does that make sense? You're a one-woman kind of man. You're, you've got that pure devotion. You realize that women are actually image bearers, and you treat them with dignity, and you treat them with respect. And if you're going to commit to a woman, it's going to be one woman. You're going to be heart and soul committed to that one woman. That's the kind of character, because we need to, we need to see that in a world swirling with womanizing men, men that objectify women. We need to know that the people leading God's church are the people that in their home are committed. Their wife knows that they are true and pure and devoted to them. And when it comes to their, their children, right? He says, they've got faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. So here's the deal, guys. None of us can control like the faith of our children, 
right? Ultimately, all of us as individuals have to decide if we're going to be followers of Christ. But this does mean that I live the kind of life that my children want to follow along with me. I live the kind of legit, transparent, authentic life toward Jesus that my children want to follow along. They want to not rebel, rebel because I don't like that kind of faith. That's full of hypocrisy. No, you live the kind of legit Christian life that even the children look over and are like, yeah, man, that's, I like that. I want to follow along. Now, what, whatever happens between them and Jesus, that's between them and Jesus, but at least you're guiding them and leading them with integrity to Jesus. Veritas, we need more homes like Brad and Kelsey Verkler, right? We need more homes like the Bodines. We need more homes where you look over and you see these homes and you're like, man, that's cool. Those are, those are elders who actually have the kind of home that I want to have. I, I want to live in that kind of an environment. So he starts with that. He says, you got to have elders who have their, their house in or the kind of home that Cretans who are kind of chaotic, things are kind of a mess, and i got to have some examples. Like, what's it look like, Brad Verkler? What's it look like to actually get my house in order and follow after you? And then he goes into the kind of person that Cretans really want to be. So starts off with the kind of homes and then he gets into the character, okay? What kind of person the Cretans really long to become and so they can see it and emulate it and want to be like this. So look at verse 7. An overseer of God's household. So, right, you've got his own household, and now look at that. He makes this kind of transference then, an overseer of God's household. So now when you're with a family of God, he must be, there's that word again, blameless. Blameless. Again, not perfect, but you're not going to be able to accuse him of the things they're about to follow after this uh, colon. Not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money. So there's a bunch of nots, what not to do, okay? And then he's going to get to the positives, what should be there. Not this stuff, verse 7, then, but look for this stuff, verse 8. But hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, blameless, okay? So what's that look like? Well, what not to be in that verse 7, you guys, I feel like, one, I'm eager for you guys just to get into your connection groups on this stuff. So we're not going to necessarily go word by word by word because they're pretty self-evident, aren't they? I mean, it make, it's pretty clear what he's trying to get across. The hardest part is actually applying it to life. And when I think about the things not to be, I think a lot of those things all hang on that idea of arrogance, right? Don't be arrogant. Because when you're arrogant, you're not humble. You're not Philippians 2, humble, believing that other people are more important than yourself. No, instead, you're arrogant. That's what causes you to be hot-tempered. Because I really think, how did you, like yesterday, okay, quick example, certainly not in my notes. I'm driving toward Kinnick, and I've got the, a free lane, and I'm honestly going the speed limit. You know, you're just going to have to believe me on that. I'm going the speed limit. Well, the other lanes are kind of full, and somebody had decided to kind of stop and let somebody, like, cross my path. Well, this, this gal just all of a sudden like, whoosh, like comes right in front, like, right, I mean, I was ready to T-bone her, you know, and I slam on the brakes and she looks at me like, you know, gives me this immediately like, why are you in the space that I own? You know, and I'm like, it's my lane. I was just going down. <laughs> it really, I, 
I was in the right. Why are you glaring at me like And you can just tell she was so put out with me in that you know, instant, right? You, I mean, we've all been there, right? And sometimes we've been in the role reversal where, you know, you're the one. I'm just saying, if you really believe that the world is yours and everything is ordered after you, that causes you to be hot-tempered, to be immediately put out, right? But if you're not arrogant, if you're humble, you're actually not easily tempered, you know? You're, you're not an excessive drinker. You're not a bully. You're not greedy for money. Why? Because you're like, no, other people are more important than me, and I'm going to live in humility. And then what to be. Guys, look at, look at that list of what he calls you to be. Not just not be, but then hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous. I, I want you to look at that list And for sure, you should look at those of us who are elders and ask yourself, does this represent who they are? But then you've got to look in your own life. You've got to look in the mirror to say, well, if that's the example I'm supposed to be following, I think it'd be awesome for all of us to take a a good hard look and say, what are those qualities I really need to, to like cultivate more in my life? If this is a a short little list of those things that we're supposed to be to be Christ-like, Man, am I hospitable? Am I sensible? Am I self-controlled, right? And don't, you guys, don't get all abstract with this, okay? Don't, don't like dig deep into your soul for this. I want you to get very practical. This is a very practical list. This is the, this is the stuff that you should see visibly, not deep soulish. No, here's what I had to do as I went through this this week. I had to ask myself, what does my wife say about me? somebody that has the closest proximity to see the example of my life, what does my wife say as she looks at these negative examples and positive examples, what does she see in my life? When I ask my children, and my kids are adult children, so they can speak to me about these things, like, what do you see about my life? I actually had a moment where I had to ask, what do my coworkers think? What what does Coach Dermody think about the character of my life? What does Rebecca think about my life as she's now had, you know, 10 months of working with me on a team? You've got to ask yourself, don't get all abstract, guys. Don't, don't, don't make this just a, a moment of, of prayer. Start prayerfully, but ask yourself the very legit question, what's the pattern of my life? What do the, what do the roommates around me, the people around me, who, what do people say that I am? These are the kind of people, he's saying, man, This island of Crete, it's in a bad way. It's messed up. (laughs) A lot of chaos going on. We need a church that exemplifies some beautiful things to point people to Jesus. Is this the kind of stuff that we're seeing? And then we finally get to the one task that elders actually have. All of it, you guys, isn't it amazing? All of it is, is not a profile of what to do. It's a profile of who we are with one task, and it's in verse 9 holding to the faithful message as taught, holding firmly, like elders who have a white-knuckled grip. They're clutching on to the truth of the Bible, the faithful message that first came to them, and they're wanting to hand it off safely and securely, like passing a baton. They made sure they got it securely. They're making sure it gets passed on to the next generation, holding faithful to the message as taught to them, passing it now unto you. How? so that he'll be able to encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradict. Encouraging people, coming alongside, come on, you can do this. 
This is the way of Christ. This is the way of truth. I know you got some chaos. I know you, you got some stuff to come out of. Come this way. Come alongside me. I want to put my arm around you. I want to f- help you to take this book and, and put it into your life. I want you to find flourishing out of the chaos, formlessness, emptiness, and find order and flourishing. Come along. I want to help you. I want to help you. But that also carries the other side, also to refute when there's false ideas, falsehood. There's going to be even wolves disguising themselves as sheep to come in and deceive us. Already the church there in Crete, we're going to find out in the next couple of weeks, already had these false teachers trying to pull people away from just the truth, the, tr- the truth of the Bible. And you've got to have some elders who know their Bibles so well that when these false ideas come out or, or, or when people start getting distracted and going down a wrong way, they know their Bible so well they're able to say, no, no, that's wrong. I want to help you positively get toward Christ, but I'm also able to identify those times where there's falsehood coming in, idolatry coming in. The one task, you guys, the one task is not, can you put a budget together, right? Do you know how to make good real estate decisions? Like, that isn't even in the list. The list is, are they the kind of men that they should be? And do they hold on to their Bibles so that they can help us to hold on to our Bibles? Okay, so here's the question, Veritas. How are we doing? Okay? Right off the bat, he, he, he puts little crosshairs on the leadership. That's got to be established first and foremost. He's got a lot more to say about other stuff that's got to happen there in Crete. But he starts with the leadership. How are we doing? What are we doing? <laughs> right? Like all the buffalo, as if we all know where we're going, right? Are we all just kind of blindly just showing up, or are we stopping to say, wait, does this, does this profile look like Veritas? And if it doesn't, guess where the adjustment needs to be made? <laughs> we're not going to start tinkering with the book, right? We're going to start tinkering with our lives. But beyond it all, I want to come back to what I started off with, guys. It's because this isn't our church after all. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And even though this has been a really... Uh, kind of practical, pragmatic section of the Bible, it is all built on the fact that we have the gospel of Jesus Christ locked in to our minds. I, I've got one passage. We're going to be sharing communion together, and I'm so glad on a week like this that we're actually going to be doing communion as well because there's a, there's a verse at the end of Hebrews. I actually don't have it on the screen because I, I thought of it earlier this morning. But in Hebrews 13, verse 7, it says this. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders who've spoken God's word to you, and as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Listen to what they say, but what you really want to contemplate, observe if they're actually living that out. And then watch them live it out and follow that. And what you'll end up with, look at verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's all about Jesus. It's actually not those leaders. The leaders are just pointing you to Jesus who is changeless. 
He never lies, the God who never lies, and set this up. If we just follow him, guys, all the chaos that we've made of things, all the emptiness we've made of our lives, we will find order and flourishing as we anchor our lives in Jesus Christ. Because what we find when we go to Jesus Christ is what we're about to celebrate, a God who loves us so much that he came down to rescue us out of the chaos and emptiness of our lives and to bring us into that place of order and flourishing, but at the cost of his life. That's the kind of love that this God has. It's not not Jesus up there with this scolding kind of look on his face and why don't you guys get your house in order? No, no, no. Oh, no. It's a God who has said, look, I know you made a mess of things, and you have. You have royally messed up. What a train wreck you guys have made of this place, right? But man, I love you guys, right? I don't know if he'd say it quite in that vernacular, but he'd be saying, but I love you. You have not out-sinned my ability to pour loads of grace that will overwhelm that sin, I don't care what kind of darkness and emptiness you've created. I bring order and flourishing. And it starts with a recognition that he did so at the cost of his own life. And then rose again to demonstrate, yeah, I can do that. And I can bring your darkness into light. Your chaos into flourishing. (laughs) So that's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God who has started this church. So the worship team's going to come up. We're going to go into a time of worshiping him. And then if you're newer to Veritas, so what we do is we form these stations around the perimeter of the room. And what, what we do is we take one of the pieces of bread and then we dip it into the cup, the bread representing his body, the cup, his blood, and we dip it and we take it as you're ready and as you're worshiping. And that's our way of saying, Jesus, what you did for us, that's the biggest recalibration we need, that I would keep my focus and my attention on you, Jesus Christ. And we worship him in doing so. By the way, there's also, of all these stations, there's one gluten-free one that's back, straight back by the, by the sound booth. So um, we want everybody to participate who knows Jesus, right? So let me pray for us, and then we're going to worship and take communion together. Jesus, you are the head of this church, and we're so glad because we really do have a role model in you. And as we follow your life and your teaching, it takes us straight to the cross. Man. We didn't just speak words of truth and words of love, words of mercy. You went further than that and you demonstrated your love for us. You showed us how much love you have for us by going to the cross. That's the kind of leader that we want to follow. That's the kind of leader, Lord Jesus, that we will gladly surrender to. And God, thanks that you saw formless and emptiness in this world and in my soul, and then you stepped in. So Jesus, we honor you, we celebrate you, 
we worship you. And we want to remember how we got here. And it's through your death and resurrection. We give you the praise. We give you the honor. We're a grateful people. In Christ's name, amen.